Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Um, it is Easter. Happy Easter. We are so glad that you're here. And what we're going to do is uh, talk about Jesus for just a minute. And if you're just joining us, if you're a guest with us, we are, we've been talking about Jesus for quite a long time, uh, kind of every week around here, but then this specific series called The Way, where we've been walking step by step with him. And so today we're going to pick up that story and uh, we're going to see what happens next. The question we need to start with before we get there is have, have you ever lost something? Have you ever been looking for something? only to realize that it's uh, not where it's supposed to be. You're looking and it's just in some incredibly unfamiliar place. You're looking in the wrong place entirely. Are you prone to lose things? I feel like there's someone in every household that's prone to be the one that always loses things. Someone always can't find their keys. Someone never knows where their phone is. And then people will say this, you'll be looking for it and someone will find it. And then someone will say, it's always in the last place you look. Which is the dumbest thing you could possibly say, right? Because... If you found it and kept looking, that would be a little bit asinine. And so if, if you're looking somewhere and you find the thing, that is by definition the last place you're ever going to look. So maybe we're, we're just going to stop saying it's always in the last place you look. So my wife in my home is famous for losing uh, things, uh, especially her phone. Her phone uh, might as well, you know, it could be the moon and it's just who knows where it is in the universe at any given time. We don't know. And, and throughout the day, she'll, hey, have you seen my phone? Have you seen my phone? Have you seen my phone? And we're all kind of like, I don't, where is her phone? We don't live in a mansion. It's like, there's only a couple rooms. It's one of these places. She's in the car looking for it. She's in the backyard. Did we plant it with that tree? Is it under the ground? I don't know where it is. Luckily, uh, now there's a thing called Find My Phone, which there's these apps, you know, you have your computer and your tablet and your phone and your watch, and they all will ping each other. So no matter what you lose, you can hit a button on one of them and it'll make the other one start beeping. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, she, this was happening in my home. She had lost her phone and 15 minutes of looking. And she's like, I'm going to get it. No one has to look. She's always asking us to help. She didn't. She goes, I'll find it. She spends 15 minutes. She searched the whole house. She goes, I don't know. Sits down on the couch. She goes, I just don't know. Wait, I'll, I'll do the find my phone. That'll be great. So she runs over to the dining room. She grabs her computer, her laptop. She sits back down on the couch where she was. She hits the find my phone button and it starts binging. You bing, 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 bing. And kind of you, you, until you find it, it'll just keep kind of going. And she goes, will you go? I, do you hear it? I was like, I'm, I'm close. I got it. I walk over to the dining room table, right next to where she just picked up the computer. And I pick up her phone and I say, I found it. She says, where was it? To which I naturally said, you know, last place you look, no big deal. She has a problem. We could go on all day about her, but let's make it even. I have my own issues. I have my own issues. Uh, I could have told you any number of stories. I don't lose things. I get lost is the other, is the problem. Not anywhere. I have a really good sense of direction. I can tell you anywhere, north, south, hey, what street, where do you go? But I have one place that if you find me in this place, I guarantee you I'm in the wrong place. And this is Home Depot. <laughs> when I go to Home Depot, I take a backpack and some of those military MREs just because I don't know how long it's going to be. 
It's a problem. I go in for a screwdriver and I come out six hours later with mulch and a light bulb and I just don't even know. I'm like, I don't know. It's whatever it is. I've never once looked in the right place for anything and I'm proud. And so when the people, when you don't need them, the people in the orange aprons come up and they're like, hey, can I help you find anything? And I'm like, I don't even think you know what you're asking right now. Um, You better keep moving because we're both going to be in this and that's a problem. Eventually, I find myself curled in the fetal position back behind the lumber. The employees know to find me there. They know I have like a a handyman medic alert bracelet. And it just says, if you find this man, call his wife and keep him away from power tools. It's a bit of a problem. You know, at at Halloween time, when when you go to a big hardware store, you go to Home Depot and they have those like ridiculously sized Halloween decorations and the, like the blow up ghoul and, and the giant weird barking dog or the thing that pops up as you walk by in the aisle and gives you a heart attack, those things. I actually have a theory and I'm not, I can't prove this and I can't disprove it. So I'll let you decide. I have a theory that the skeleton kind of guys they have is actually just guys like me who didn't make it out. That's what it is. <laughs> they just collect them all year and they're like, we'll just put them out at Halloween. No one will know. What does this have to do with Easter? I'm so glad you asked. Luke 24. At the crack of dawn on Sunday, the women came to the tomb, carrying the burial spices they had prepared. They found the entrance stone rolled back from the tomb, and so they walked in. But once inside, they couldn't find the body of the master Jesus. They were puzzled, wondering what to make of this. And then out of nowhere, it seemed, two men, light cascading over them, stood there. The women were awestruck and bowed down in worship. And then the men said, why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? He's not here, but raised up. Now, remember how he told you when you were still back in Galilee that he had to be handed over to sinners, be killed on a cross, and in three days rise up? And then they remember Jesus' words, and they left the tomb, and they broke the news. All of this to the eleven and the rest, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them kept telling these things to the apostles. But the apostles didn't believe a word of it. They thought they were making it all up. But Peter jumped to his feet and ran to the tomb. He He stooped to look and saw the grave clothes, and that's all. And so he walked away puzzled, shaking his head. Now we're starting to feel like Easter, right? The stone is rolled away, the tomb is empty, and there's lots of speculation. There's lots of confusion. They're going, where is he? Story continues. That same day, two of them were walking to the village Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. And they were in deep conversation going over all these things that had happened. In the middle of their talk and their questions, Jesus came up and walked along with them but they were not able to recognize who he was. He asked, what's this you're discussing so intently as you walk along? And they just stood there long-faced like they'd lost their best friend. And then one of them, his name was Cleopas, said, are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened during the last few days? So so now they're in this like fog of grief. And Jesus joins them, but they're, they're sort of somehow concealed from being able to see that it's him. And he's asking, what, what's really happening? And they can't see the reality in front of them. It's like, it's like if you go to a funeral on a Saturday, you don't expect to see that person Sunday at lunch. It just, they're just kind of like, I don't, who is this guy and why, how does he not know? So they said, Luke 24, starting in verse 19, the things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene, he was the man of God, a prophet, dynamic in work and word, blessed by God and people. And then our high priests and leaders betrayed him. They got him sentenced to death and they crucified him. And we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one that was going to deliver Israel. And now it's the third day since it happened, but now some of our women have completely confused us. And early this morning, they were at the tomb and couldn't find his body. They came back with a story that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. 
Some of our friends went off to the tomb to check and they found it was empty, just as the women said, but they didn't see Jesus. I think that's a great line right there. They didn't see Jesus. They're telling Jesus the story and they didn't see Jesus. I mean, there's just like nothing, nothing at all. Story continues. He sat down at the table with them, Jesus did. Taking the bread then, he blessed and broke and gave it to them. And at that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him. And then he disappeared. And back and forth, they talked. They said, didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road? And as he opened up the scriptures for us, they didn't waste a minute from that point. They were up and on their way back to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and their friends gathered together. They were talking away and they said, it really happened. The master has been raised up. Simon saw him. There, there's this moment where now, now it's already come into being. Now we start seeing what reality is. Now we realize this was Jesus all along. If you ever watched the, who's, who's watched The Office, the show The Office? A few people have watched The Office. We've talked about The Office sometimes. This is the moment where all of the disciples have their, this is happening, OMG, it's happening moment. This is the moment. They're freaking out. Everybody stay calm, but it's happening. It's happening. And they're looking at each other like, it's real. It happened. They went from mourning to it's happening. Like, like that. They get it. All of the promises are realized to have come true. And that's why we're here. It's what we celebrate. We celebrate that he's risen. We celebrate that the king has conquered death, that he overcame the grave. But within the story, we often lose sight of the lesson that it gives us to learn. We get excited and we should be excited. We celebrate and we should celebrate. But I think there's a lesson hidden in the narrative that if we're not careful, we'll miss. We'll be busy with spiral sliced hams and egg hunts and all the things and we'll miss the thing that we're here to get. Angels appear at the tomb and they say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Now, I think they're being a little bit cute because they don't know that he's alive, but it's sort of the angel's way of saying, surprise, you know, hey, remember that thing about being raised in three days? Like they're starting to sort of kind of unfurl the thread for him a little bit. But we roll right past it. We read that part of the narrative and we're, we're ready to get to the part where Jesus is with them, where they're celebrating, where they're having their moment. And we even roll right past it. Wait, well, whatever. The angel said he's not here. And so they kept moving. It's kind of a bridge into a better part of the narrative for us. But I think I want to sit there. Why do you look for the living among the dead? I grew up in Texas in the 80s. I didn't own a horse. Thank you for asking. Whenever we would travel, people say, do you have horses? Like, no, what? We didn't, uh, I didn't have cowboy boots. I didn't have a belt buckle. I didn't have a hat. But I did grow up in Texas. And there's something about Texas where you can live in the city. We were city kids. We, we didn't have, like, country music. We, my brother was a new wave DJ in the 80s. So, like, just, it just got weird, Okay. But there was no crooner country music. It just didn't happen. No one had a truck. You know, no one had a horse. It was just pretty normal. I might as well have grown up in Columbus. No big deal. At the same time, you cannot grow up in Texas without, you know, at the grocery store, at a restaurant, wherever, with occasionally just running into country music songs and then having them stick in your brain forever. Because if there's one thing about a country music song is they are so simply written and so memorably written that once you hear it once, it's kind of with you forever. And so uh, as a boy, I played baseball. I was an eight-year-old baseball player for St. Gregory. And there was a boy that played at St. Matthew's. And we were big rivals. And there was always a guy that came to our games. Whenever we played St. Matthew's, there was a guy at the game. And he would sit on the top row of the bleachers. And he had a big white hat on. 
and it was George Strait. And so George Strait was at my baseball games, and George Strait is, is somebody if you care about country music, but if you don't, who cares? But there's one George Strait song that every Texan knows, whether you want to know it or not, and it's All My Exes Live in Texas. You've heard this song, maybe. All my, which is, again, it's kind of like it's the last place you look for it, because if you're living in Texas and you've only ever lived in Texas, then can, can we play this song? Let's, let me let you hear it. If you don't know it, here it is. Sounds, that's kind of fun. Would you like some more sweet tea, sir? Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. That's about what that comes. I mean, you're just like, okay, I kind of feel like I'm at a honky song. That's one. That's one of the songs I remember. Now, the Dukes of Hazard theme song doesn't count, but yeah, we, I got that one too. The, the second song that I would remember, I say, it doesn't matter where you are. You, you just kind of know it. Every time you kind of get stuck in traffic, you, you sing this one, and it's uh, Willie Nelson. So go ahead and play that one, Izzy. road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love is making music with my friends. And I can't wait to get on the road again. He wanted to get on the road when you live in Texas. Now you just want to get off the road because it's an hour and a half to get five minutes down the road. Traffic's a problem. Not here. Not for us. Black Swamp, no traffic. Okay. So that's two. No, those are pretty obvious. Like, you probably are like, I've heard that song. That sounds familiar. I know that song. There was a third one, though, that for whatever reason in my childhood is the song that just stuck. And I don't know where we heard it. I don't know where it was played. I don't know why it was that one. But it's the one I've been thinking about all week. And um, I'm going to play it for you. And just if you, let's see if you recognize. I want a cowboy hat like this, by the way. So go ahead and play the third one. pretty intense gaze he had, isn't it? When people say, how, did, how was your Easter? It'd be like, we went to church and apparently the pastor didn't even prepare a sermon because he just kept playing music for us the whole day. I don't know. I don't even know what it was about. There was just lots of weird country songs from the 80s. That song has been just like, I can't get it out of my head because I've been, it's that line. It's the, put the line up. I was looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for traces of what I'm dreaming of. That line has kind of been haunting me because that's the line that's coming out of the scripture to me, is that they were looking for the living among the dead. They were looking for life in the cemetery. They were looking in the wrong place for that thing that they had just been dreaming of, that thing they wanted so much. They were looking in the wrong place. That's the scene. The women were looking, Peter was looking, they were all looking for Jesus, but they were looking in the wrong place. And I would think maybe this is what we need to learn is that we are like them. We are looking for love. God is love. We are looking for love. We are looking for God. We are looking for purpose. We are looking for meaning. And we are looking, we're looking in the wrong places. We spend our lives looking for um, that thing that we feel that we were put on earth to do that, that reason that we exist, that meaning of life. We were put here for something, right? And then we get to a point and we just go, I don't know where it is. I don't know what to look for. I don't know where to find it. And, and what the reality is, is we are looking for love in all the wrong places. 
That might just be the message you need to hear today. Life is hard. We say this all the time around here. Life is hard and everyone is in a battle. Some large, some small, some public, some very private. Everyone is fighting a battle of some sort all the time. We are looking for fixes and solutions. We are looking for ways out of heartbreak and trouble. We are all kind of fumbling around in the darkness of our existence, looking for that thing that'll save us, that thing that'll heal us, that thing that'll fix it. And so I don't know what you brought in today. I don't know what your battle is. I know a few of them, but I don't know all of them. But you brought one. Maybe it's medical or it's financial, it's professional, mental, emotional, marital. We got them all. But you brought it in. And the question is, where are you looking for love in that, for God, for healing, for purpose? Because we end up looking in all these other places, and it rarely goes well for us. We're looking in the land of death. We're like these women. We're like Peter. We're looking for life in the land of death. We're looking for hope where there is no hope. We're looking for light, but we're doing it in the darkness. Jesus, when he began his ministry, he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Scripture tells us this. And then he moves on from there to this backwater village called Capernaum. It's right on the Sea of Galilee. And as he starts preaching, as he begins his ministry, he picks up a scroll and he quotes from the prophets of old as a way of introducing why he was there. Matthew 4, 16. Jesus says, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Jesus is introducing himself to the world using an Old Testament prophecy, an old scripture that he has come to fulfill. He's saying, you are walking in darkness and I am the light. He's introducing himself to a people, he says, who are walking in the valley of the shadow of death, who are walking through the darkness. That's what the experience of life is. When we're honest, the experience of life is sort of this long walk through the valley of the shadow. It, yeah, we have moments, and yeah, we have seasons, and yes, we have celebrations, and yes, but often when we look back at a year, when we look back at a season, when we look back, there's a lot of heavy stuff. There's a lot of heartache, and there's a lot of challenge and a lot of trial. We are those people walking in the valley of the shadow of death, and Jesus shows up, and light shows up, and life shows up. What I want you to hear is when we look to anything less than Jesus for hope, when we look to anything less than Jesus for life, we are searching the darkness for light. We are searching the cemetery for life. It's not going to happen. You're not going to find it. Anything short of Jesus will let you down. And so we wonder why we all occasionally feel a little bit hopeless. And I don't think it's because God is letting us down. I think it's because we are we're not looking for God in that moment. We're not looking at God in that moment. We're not trusting him in that moment. We're looking to something less and then wondering why we feel like there's no hope there. Whether it's your marriage or your kids, your career or vocation, even the things that we think are like those peripheral things that we kind of like, our hobbies, those lighthearted activities, our sports and our shows, the fun distractions or the collections, or just those little things that kind of give life a little bit of traction at times, even they begin to lose their luster. Nothing seems to satisfy. You go on vacation, that'll fix it. And you come home and you go, I need a vacation for my vacation. Maybe you're vacationing wrong. No purchase leaves us truly content because there's always a better version of whatever you just got. Because the second you got it, it was already used because it's yours now. 
we're looking for love in all the wrong places. We're like Mary and Joanna and Peter. We're staring at the tomb, wondering where there's life. But God is love. And Jesus is God, fully God, came to earth. He came to be with us, to walk among us, to live a perfect life, and then to be the sacrifice for our sins. So he took the cross, he was crucified, died, and was buried. And on the third day, what we celebrate today, for real, he rose. He rose. And in that moment, all of the hopelessness ended. In that moment, all of the darkness ended. In that moment, all of the death ended. And so you and I can look back to to something other than Jesus and live in those pre-Jesus moments, or we can say he's risen and he's invited us to live the resurrected life with him. And it won't mean it's easy. It won't mean it's perfect. It won't mean you have no struggle. It means that in them you have life. In them you have hope. In them you have eternity. There are witnesses named in the story. We keep calling out these names. Mary and Joanna and Peter and the others. Mary Magdalene was there. Who are these people? Why are they named? Why are they important? Why do we skip them? They're, they're the witnesses. It's like catching it on video today. They didn't have an iPhone. They didn't pull it out and videotape everything. This was catching it on video. These are names listed of people that were going to be called on by neighbors, friends, colleagues, people from two towns over. They would say, hey, Joanna, did you really see the empty tomb? And she'd go, sure did. Hey, did you really see Jesus like risen, like alive? I sure did. This is why there's witnesses in the Bible, because there is no video evidence. This is what it would look like. No story would make it out. No nonfiction historical narrative made it out with names in it that were false, because those people would have been asked. They would have been called on. They would have been, hey, is this real? And if they said no, they'd be like, this is trash. Burn it. But when they said, yeah, that happened, and the Bible lists hundreds of names, that interacted with Jesus, that were healed by Jesus, that walked with Jesus, that saw him resurrected, and it's listing the names because it's real, because it's true, because it's all true, because it happened. This is not a fantasy world. This is not a religion. This is not a feel-good moment. This is not your chance to come and get like a little dose of religion to feel better and sprinkle it on your life. This is the reality of the universe, that the creator of existence chose to come meet us in our moment of greatest need, to come to earth and be among us, to walk with us, and in doing so, to save us that you and I couldn't climb the religious ladder high enough. You can't be perfect. You can't do it all right. You can't get all the rules. And Jesus said, stop worrying about it. Stop looking for life in the land of death, in rules and rituals and religions, the land of death. He says, look to life in me, me alone. So Jesus comes and light overwhelms the darkness and life overcomes death and love conquers hate and sin and guilt and shame. Jesus's message to us is that we can stop looking for life in the land of death because in him alone we find true life. We can stop looking for life in the land of death because in him alone we find true life. And so if you're in a place, if you're in a place where you're looking for something and it's less than Jesus, what would you expect to find there? The question becomes, what do you expect to find? So maybe today is your day. The choir's assembling in the foyer. They didn't get offended just then. I missed it. What did he say? They all left. I'll play that music again if you guys know. They're going to assemble. I'm going to finish up here. We're going to sing some songs. And you have the opportunity to skip it, to check out, chalk it up as a religious experience. You came because my neighbor invited me or because mom said we needed to go or whatever. 
You can do that. That is your absolute option today. My challenge to you is to to really ask yourself where love is, where hope is, where meaning is, where purpose is, because it isn't in all the places that we typically look. It's only in Jesus. And so you have an opportunity today to find hope, to find purpose, to find meaning, to find healing. You have the opportunity today to walk out of this place, to walk away from this time renewed, truly restored. Jesus says, he who believes in me has life. Your opportunity today is to believe in the person of Jesus and walk away with an actual life, with real hope, with an eternity secured with him forever that starts now. And so you don't have to wait on it. You don't have to get some more rules done. You don't have to come back next week and you can fill out the card. You don't have to fill out the card. You can just say, I want to, I got to follow this Jesus. I need the life that he says that there's life. I need that. I've been looking in a tomb for life and it's led me to more and more and more death and I'm sick of it and I want life. That's your opportunity today. Because you, maybe you remember if you've been in here and you said, I've been following Jesus a while, but you know what? I've been looking in the wrong place. So maybe you remember today. Or maybe for the very first time you go, maybe this is me. I've been looking in the wrong places. And the true life that you've been looking for is in Jesus. I cannot say it more clearly. I could tell you my whole story. I could call on any number of people in here to tell you their story about how our lives were marked by death, relational destruction, sin at every corner that just brought on guilt and shame in waves and cycles. And it wasn't until the person of Jesus says, you can follow me, believe in me, and I got you covered. That I took your shame and sin to the cross and it's done. And all you have to do to find the life that I offer is say, yes, believe, follow Today, there's no reason to keep looking. No reason to keep searching. Let today be the last day that you look. Let Jesus, here and now, be the last place you look. For life, for love, he loves you. He has forgiven you. He has risen. And he's offering you a whole new life, the true life that you were created for, the life beyond your wildest imagination. And it's yours today if you will say yes to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for a day like today where we can celebrate that he is the life bringer, that he is our hope and our future, that he is meaning and purpose. Father, thank you that, uh, that we have these traditions and these ways to reconnect. Father, I pray for each heart in here that is, is here as a favor to a friend, as an obligation. I pray for those hearts. God, would you just be so present and undeniable? Would you stir within them that thing in the pit of their stomach that they can't deny? Lord, would you be present? Father, I pray for each heart here that is not walking with you, that has not accepted your love and your life, that doesn't know your hope and your purpose. Lord, let today be the first day of that life dawning, of that light coming. Father, let today be the day where their light on the horizon breaks and the life that is shackled in sin and shame and pain and guilt. Father, end it today. And bring life where there has been death. Bring light where there has been darkness. Jesus, we believe. We trust you. We believe not only the witnesses, but we believe the spirit who speaks within us that says it's all true. We believe. So today, Father, whether it's uh, the first time for some of us or the thousandth time for others, we say yes to you. We say that we believe 
that we want to give you our lives. We want to lay our lives down because you have offered us a life far greater. And so Jesus, we say yes. Thank you, Father. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.